House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome to Capital Ideas, where Representative Shelley Kloba is backed by popular demand. If you're listening to this on a computer or a mobile device, and how else would you be listening to it? Someone somewhere knows about it. As we used to hear in school, it's going to be on your permanent record. Shelley finds that a whole lot creepy, and today we'll hear about her People's Personal Data Bill of Rights. First, though, I need to tell you that you're listening to Capital Ideas, the podcast where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. We can't really sit down at the Capitol this year for obvious reasons, but you get the picture. Back to Shelley. She's in her third two-year term working for the fine people of the 1st Legislative District, which includes parts of Northeast King County and South Snohomish County and comprises areas of Kirkland, Bothell, Mount Lake Terrace, and Briar. Shelley lives in Kirkland, and she chairs the House Commerce and Gaming Committee. We recorded this a couple of days ago, and it went like this. Welcome, Representative Shelley Kloba, to Capital Ideas. This is an encore appearance, and I'm really glad to have you back. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity. Today, I want to talk about a topic that is very important to you, privacy, online digital type of privacy is what I'm talking about. Uh, You've got a couple of significant pieces of legislation. Yes, that's true. I have two bills this session that address the data that we just spew at every moment when we are online. We leave a trail of it behind us with every interaction that we make online. One is 1433, and we're calling that the People's Privacy Act. The other is 1303, which regards data brokers registering and then having to pay a tax, a B&O tax. If you were to look up 1433, it would look as though it's dead. There's no path further for it. But one of the things that we knew early on was that the committee that this bill will go through, Civil Rights and Judiciary, was going to be a very busy committee this year. Lots of really important big bills addressing racial inequity, over-policing, and so on. And so the chair of that committee told me early on that he was going to be able to only devote one day to privacy and that big conversation that we've been having for the last couple of years. So his plan was to wait for the Senate bill to come over. And at that point in time, we could expand the discussion to include my bill. That's certainly not anything that anybody wants to hear, that their bill doesn't itself have a direct pathway. I do understand the rationale behind that and the many, many things that are on the plate of that committee. So I have resigned myself to it and that is how we're operating. The other one, 1303, that with regarding the data brokers, that one is a bill that is deemed what we call necessary to implement the budget. And because it would bring in dollars, that 
type of bill is a special type that has a little bit longer to make it through the process and get over to the Senate. That one has not yet had a hearing, and I think things will heat up once it does, but um, that one's kind of in a holding pattern right now. Tell me about the profession of data broker. I think as you know, when you're online, even things like what website you go to and how long you stay on it, what uh, was the previous website you were on, landed you on it, what pages within it did you look at, things like that. Things like our, you know, when we wear those fitness monitors, we're transmitting data all the time about where we are in space, which is our geolocational data heart rate, blood pressure, uh, you track your weight in there, all kinds of data that individually wouldn't necessarily tell someone much about you. But when you collect all of these pieces of data, they start to form a profile about you that becomes very valuable. In particular, when you become a candidate for being a good audience for, you know, product X, and marketing to you about that particular product. You also can glean information about a person through this that a company might use to make a decision about you. And so maybe that's in housing and maybe that is with regard to employment. Having all of this data packaged up together can have some, some helpful uses and it can also have some nefarious uses. And so the folks who are collecting, packaging, selling, commercializing, that kind of data are who we're talking about here as data brokers. That's a strange sounding profession. Are these people connected with the big companies that collect all this big data? Or do they glean it from these big online companies? How, how do they get this data? Some of the mechanisms behind that are not perfectly clear to me. And part of the rationale behind creating this data broker registry is for us to more fully understand who are these companies that are doing this kind of work. And you know, it has them do a yearly report so that we get an understanding of you know, to whom are they selling data. And it gives us a better understanding of the industry itself, because the second piece of it then is to tax that activity. And, you know, we have a tax system that is upside down and people who are at the lower end of the income spectrum pay a much higher percent of their income in state and local taxes. But in addition to that major systemic flaw, we also have a system that doesn't necessarily fully reflect our current economy. You know, when we first started as a state, we had timber and agricultural products and manufacturing. And now it's a much different economy. And this sale of data is not something we currently tax. And when we talk about having a robust enforcement system for our potential future privacy laws, we need to have those resources in order to fund the people who do the work of enforcing privacy laws. This seems to me like a real nexus between these two things. Will this tax on brokers be commensurate with what we tax other professionals? Yes, it's, in, it's a 1.8% 
on their gross business revenues. I think these two things really do, they're very coordinated and symbiotic. Kind of back to the People's Privacy Act, really this issue is the consumer protection issue of our time. In the past, there's been some work done at the federal level, so much so that we take for granted now the protections that we have against unsafe cars, and we take for granted the protections that consumers have against unsafe food, and the ability even just to to have the transparency about what is in the food that you're buying. Those were some of the issues that Washington's renowned Senator Warren Magnuson championed during his time in the Senate. And, um, you know, is really instrumental in getting those kinds of protections, like ingredient labeling that we just take for granted now. But, you know, like food and cars, one of the inescapable necessities of our modern life is going online, even more so now than before the pandemic. I, I think we used to just go to restaurants and eat there. And what information do they have from you? Well, whatever, you know, they ran your credit card. So they have the billing information that's necessary to complete that transaction. And they don't have anything else in addition to that. But now, if you order it on, you know, one of the apps, now the app has your information. And they're going to know how frequently you eat from, you know, that particular place versus the other particular place. They're going to know all kinds of things about you through your patterns. Our life has just gotten a little more complicated. There's a professor, Ryan Kahlo, at the University of Washington, who talks about the asymmetry of power between the individuals and the companies who collect and manipulate and sell our data. I think it's really important that there's a Senate bill as well as my bill. Both of us, the bills, have that idea and that we need to create rights for people with regard to their data, the right to access what companies have accumulated on you, the right to correct or delete, the right to opt out or opt in. That's one of the bones of contention between the two bills. They kind of have some differences with regard to what companies or how big a company has to be before they have to follow the rules. Sometimes the mechanism is, I think, a big deal and a big difference between the two bills. I'm of the contention that the data that a company is collecting about you should be used for the specific purpose it was collected for. And any other purpose would need to have you opt in to that kind of sharing. That gives you, the consumer, more control over your data. And as we know, if anybody's ever tried to opt out of the use of your data or the collection of your data, it's pretty cumbersome. And again, going back to that asymmetry of power, they have all the power and you have very little. And I, I just fundamentally don't think that's correct. And, and I think that we have a long history with the kinds of consumer protections that I talked about before of trying to correct that asymmetry. The Senate bill that you're hoping to amend to bring it more in line with what your mechanisms are, right now that's an opt-out bill. And as you said, that basically means it's a carte blanche for companies to do anything they want with your data. 
the Senate bill is moving along. It's it's apparently going to come over here and be assigned most likely to the Civil Rights and Judiciary Committee in the House. And that is the point at which you're hoping and I think maybe expecting that you will be able to improve this bill. Have, have you been working with the senator who is behind that particular bill to sort of bring him or her along? We had a conversation this morning. He was very gracious, and I am very hopeful that we will be able to come up with something. It is worth noting that two years in a row, the Senate bill has come over, and for whatever reason, members of the House have some different ideas, and it has changed as it worked through its various committees in the House to a point where the House and the Senate couldn't agree. And so it failed to progress to the governor's desk. And that happened two years in a row. My idea this time was to, instead of start with a House and a Senate bill that were exactly the same, which we call that a companion bill, um, right. and have them kind of diverge, <laughs> I thought, well, maybe we can start with really separate approaches and work our way back to the middle. We'll see if that works, but I, I think the reality is that the House sees things a little bit differently. I, of course, am hopeful that more people will be supportive of the ideas that are put forward in the People's Privacy Act and that we can persuade our Senate colleagues to be able to come up with something that we can all agree with and get to the governor's desk this year. What kind of a timeline are we looking at for perfecting this bill? For the next two weeks, both the House and the Senate will be spending time on the virtual floor debating the bills that have come forward so far, and we will pass those bills off to the opposite chamber. At that point, they will go through our committee system again, and it is my hope that because Chair Hansen of the Civil Rights and Judiciary Committee knows that this bill will take a lot of conversation and a lot of stakeholder work that he will give it due time for that kind of consideration. And so we'll hear it early on so that we have plenty of time to get it to the point um, that it can pass off of the House floor. And eventually this session will adjourn on April 25th, I believe. And we're all hopeful that this will hit the governor's desk by about the 26th. That is certainly the goal. The time is now, and this is an issue that can't wait. Consumers need this protection. We agree on that. The specifics of how we get there remain to be seen. But again, our lives are so much more online than they ever were before. And people are starting to understand a little bit more. They see a little bit more um, into the ways that data is being used against them. Uh, <laughs> we all have that uh, situation where, you know, we were shopping for our spouse for a Christmas present online and suddenly ads for that thing show up in our Facebook feed. And when, when those things start to cross-pollinate like that, it starts people asking themselves, wait a minute, how did they know that I was looking for something over on this other site? Who, who's talking to whom here? And 
when those types of things happen that get people thinking about their data, most people that I talk to are not pleased by that mechanism. They're usually a little bit caught off guard or- Creeped out. And that was exactly the word I was gonna say. Um, it's unsettling, I think, when we realize that someone is watching us and thinking about our preferences. It's something that we need to get a handle on. I know you've got to go. Thank you, Representative Shelley Kloba. I appreciate you talking to us about this issue and hope to see you in person one of these days. And I you. Thank you so much. Well, now you know that Shelley's got your digital back. We're about halfway through the 2021 session, and the next seven or eight weeks will reveal the fate of the People's Personal Data Bill of Rights. In the meantime, why not subscribe to Capital Ideas on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your state government, and what goes on here matters. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.